Welcome to Football and Society, a new podcast exploring societal issues through the lens of the beautiful game. We'll be exploring topics including football in Turkey during the Erdogan regime, the history of the French national team and the experiences of female officials in the UK. I'm Norman Reilly and I'm joined by Chris Shipman and Ashley McMullen. And today we'll be looking at the use of magic among football supporters. Watching football games being played behind closed doors lately has highlighted how important supporters are in creating that unique atmosphere on a match day. But have you ever thought of supporters as magicians? This is the view proposed by Cassia Hurd in an article exploring the practice of magic among Swedish football supporters. The notion of magic referred to here is that described by the French sociologist Marcel Mauss, who defined magic as a means of creating a socially constructed space in which certain rites are performed to foster a collective belief in the power of these practices to influence events. Drawing on her experience attending games with the radical supporters of Malmö, Cassia argues that the core elements of magic that Mouse describes are present at matches. A key part of the magician's role is the ability to stage so-called abnormal behaviour, and in this respect the most radical fans engage in behaviour considered taboo by other supporters. They engage in boisterous chanting, light flares and display aggression towards the opposition, invoking the darker powers of magic. In order to sustain these performances, the supporters must believe in their own abilities, and herein lies the key difference between magic and religion. Unlike religious devotion to an all-powerful god, magicians have a firm belief in their own powers to influence outcomes. In this respect, supporters are critical of their own performance when results do not go their way, as they are convinced of the link between their behaviour and the team's success. We are delighted that Cassia Heard has joined us today to discuss her research with us. Cassia works in the Division of Ethnology at Lund University, Sweden, and as well as magic, has studied supporters' relationships with history. Cassia, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hello. So this is an incredibly intriguing topic. Um, I've been following football since as long as I can remember, so a long time, 35 years or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and I've never contemplated magic in football. Tell me, I guess, what made you decide to... To, I guess study this uh, this this topic. What what you know? What was what was the logic behind your your thought process? Yeah, I started being interested in football 2012. I got my like work placement there. I studied a master program in applied cultural analysis, and you have to have um, ten weeks of like an internship. And no one really wanted me. Like uh, I was now with me not interested in students. And then I asked Malmo FF, would you like a project in cultural analysis? And then they basically said, if it's for free, yes. So that's how I started. And uh, so I watched my first game, September 2012, really. And I was very surprised. Well, not by the by the play itself. I mean, you can't get away from football nowadays. You, it's always something on TV. My dad watched Premier League and a bit of you know Champions League and so mm-hmm. on, of course. But the entire sort of structure surprised me. And so I'm sitting there. I'm with my friend. I can't talk to her because there's so much noise. Everyone is really pissed because Malmo didn't really play well. I can see that the quality on the pitch is really not fantastic. And then everyone was angry and disappointed. And then they they pay to go again next week. Most likely to get disappointed and angry again. I'm like, what is this? And it's cold. It was windy. It's raining. Why? Why? So I, I basically got really um, surprised and confused. So I tried to talk to like people at the department, like, what is it? And some of the professors were like, oh, you know, it's... 
it's religion, communitas, you know, we come together and we feel, but I'm born raised Catholic. And I'm like, nah, nah, this is not how it looks like in the church. You know, I mean, there's some sort of respect, at least to someone. You don't go to the priest and go, oi, that was a wrong, wrong, you know, thing you said. And you do it with the, you know, with referees. It's like, what the fuck did you just did? I mean, this it's, it's completely different sort of dynamics. And then I got the suggestion of uh, Marcel Mauss and magic. And I read the book and I absolutely loved it. And then I found out that there are other researchers who used it to sort of unpack modernity. Mm -hmm. And this entire idea that we've moved on as societies, especially Western societies, from the magical thinking, from the wishful thinking. But we have not. Uh, so there are fantastic articles how, how um, minority can control majority, for example. How you can make people believe that they are rejuvenated when uh, being sort of very stressed in time, visiting a spa, you can have a very sort of packed schedule for entire three days and somehow you made into believe that you relaxed. Mm -hmm. How do you make people believe that they relaxed? So there are a lot of those things in the society. And I thought in a way that was, for me, it was new and exciting. And it also kind of clicked. When the penny dropped for real was when I talked to this one person who worked for the club, but was also like all supporter. And we discussed players and he got really angry with the players. And he said, like, are they just tools? It's like, no one worships them. I said, oh, that's exactly that. You don't worship anyone. You just use whatever you want. So that's where I landed. Well, I tell you what, everything you said there about football fans and going to matches and paying to watch things that make mm -hmm. them miserable, you've pretty much instigated an existential crisis in me right now. Because... <laughs> I, it's a question that I ask on a regular basis. Um, we'll just jump straight in. I'm going to take a, a quote straight from the article. Um, Football is a state of confusion between an actor, right, and an object. Uh, this is it's a brilliant observation. For me, it was a, a jaw-dropping moment. Um, and I'd be really grateful if you could expand on it for our listeners. This article is based on my master thesis. And the, basically, the question, the master thesis was, what is football? We yeah. all take it for granted, but what is it? And why do we need it so much? And the thing is that when, you, when you're there, you realize that you don't really understand or like it's very easy to sort of juggle with who's the enemy, who's the owner, who has the right to define yeah. what is going on. And it sort of fluctuates between the officials and then you have the security and then you have different groups of football supporters and then you have, of course, the opposing teams that play. And then you have the press that controls quite a lot of how this process looks like and how we envision football, how we want football to be. So we have a lot of actors that have a lot of um, things to say about it. And they also compete with the understandings as well. And from this sort of mess, you still get a pretty good picture what football is. Mm. Like when we see football, we don't question it. Like you understand, you understand the premises, you understand how it's supposed to be. And if it is disrupted, then it's like, but it's strange. Like now we have no supporters on mm. quite a lot of stadiums and people say, and there are those slogans and there are a lot of, um, I've seen like supporters like um, posting things online that this is not football because we are not there. Yeah. But there is the other view saying that, that right now we have exactly what we should football yeah. 
what matters now is the performance on the pitch, not what you do on the stands, not how security behaves, not how the club communicates to the supporters, none of that. All of a sudden we have the pure game and yet people say, but this is not it. So yeah, so, 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 so the, the way that the chaos is kind of written into the blueprint of how it's supposed to be, yeah. it's, um, it's very interesting. Totally agree. Your focus was in fans in Sweden. Is there the same level of involvement? I'm not sure how much you've looked into, say, more corporate countries like England, where there's a lot of international yeah. success for teams. Do you think that it varies by country, the, the level of magic which supporters engage in? I think the form is different, maybe, or like the, mm. the expression, but I don't think the involvement would be much different. It's basically how you construct a narrative and how you support it. Because the Swedish fans, I mean, I have also some quotes because some, yeah, this is the best we can have because we know the corporate business. And then some would say, but this is fake democracy. We have no voice. Mm. There are still, you know, big money and play and we need money. And supporters in a lot of countries are very pragmatic. Like, you, you know that you need a nice arena. You know you need international talents to, to win uh, titles. This is just, this is as obvious. And it's been so basically from the beginning. Like, in the Swedish sources, you can read that, well, they were supposed to be on amateur level. You were not supposed to buy and, like, you know, offer money. But you could offer them jobs. So, for example, Stockholm Cup, there, there was one, one beautiful case when a little club, Degefors, uh, they had a very good striker. And all of a sudden, a club from Stockholm offers him a job as a postman, <laughs> like in the 50s. Yeah. So it's a fantastic job. So, of course, he goes to Stockholm and he plays for them. So you had that even back then. But I would say that you can basically... But because football is so, um, how to say, like plastic, elastic, you can use it for so many things. So, so the expression changes. So, like I don't do, I do not know much about Polish football, for, for example. It's it's a, a bit scary when I look at it. Uh, but uh, but you see much more of a sort of trick with the national, with the with the core nationality, and sort of playing on that level, on club level. You can't see it in Sweden, really. That, that doesn't exist. You can see, like, Legia Warszawa, they are, for example, really good of, like, you know, there was this massive Jesus on the stands, like, using of those elements. Can't see it in Sweden. Sort of right. purified from those elements. And you suggest that football fans' behaviour could be interpreted to some degree as masochistic, and those of us that support particularly not very successful clubs, the three of us do, unfortunately, mm -hmm. probably attest to this, uh, and that disappointment to some degree is integral to their experience um, and as integral to their experience as enjoyment. How important do you think suffering is in being attached to a team? I think, I think it's, it makes things almost easier to be a supporter and sort of experience this bond with your, uh, with your club. I've, I've become a supporter, like I've become my own experiment, you can say, because I, I thought I wouldn't, but then now I am really. And the, the club I support is, um, well, they can't claim that much. It's really not that great. Although they, they would like to see like this, oh, we are so fantastic. I actually heard the phrase that they are like the paranoid princess. Like, I'm so great and no one cares. <laughs> uh, uh, it kind of speaks to me. Uh, but, um, but the thing is that what you can see in football, it's a lot of those like myth making. And when you have one of the strongest myths is the hero's quest. To, to reach something, to achieve something, you have to go through trials. You have to suffer. You have to go through this sort of almost like a rite of passage and, mm. you know, and experience different things. And 
when you are when you build a relationship with anything with a person with a pet i mean you have to go the up and down and that sort of strengthens the the, the connection and with the hero's quest i mean what what do we cheer the most when we have this small clubs that are sort of struggling ever but all of an, all of a sudden there's this bright moment and everyone's like yes they managed we have not you know given up on you we had belief we we stood by you and now now we can have this you know and this this celebration means more than celebrating almost like a year after year after year like mom ff now they are the winners that's the that's the idea that that's the or like it has kind of developed to be the identity there is very few to um very little to land on there is no cushion there is no protection if it goes bad with other clubs it's almost the other way around it's like oh what happened we are okay like you know we top five woohoo uh, so so it's a different sort of thing and and i've heard it and i experienced that and i was very confused when i experienced that and people say like struggle at the bottom is almost like more intense than at the top mm. because you're really fighting for your life because it's really and this sort of triggers um emotions that and this triggering of emotions is of course addictive that's why people do different things that that's why you want to go to concert as you become sort of effectively involved and the thing with football is that's a perfect arena to invest your emotions this is the currency that um, everyone wants us to pay with now because the money well no you need a banker you need you need an investor you need oil money or you need chinese money yeah something like that nowadays but what let's say the whole business of it wants from the supporters show your emotion invest your emotion and if you have the possibility to invest both the positive negative emotions that's even like a double investment and hence supporters for example in sweden react so much so strongly when the big money talk comes up they don't want to feel all the time that someone someone is making profit on their emotions no one wants that people want to know that there is something else in it not just the the pure profit who is your team by the way uh, it's oiko stockholm oh yeah 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 so aik right is that aik yeah. stockholm yeah yeah, yeah. and it's uh, people basically go very surprised why and it's um I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, I have when I when I was writing my PhD, I kind of ended up hanging around with them a lot because my my idea was history and producing history using history, and the thing with them was that well, they have not won anything for a very long time, so what they had to do was to dig quite a lot into history to find something positive. They lost the arena. A goalkeeper died. They were like really like mid-range best. Uh, they were losing, and so you know they were very very creative in in creating the the images or, or something, having some sort of characters and references to the history to sort of keep it up. And they've been very good at this actually. So I somehow I, I don't know. I, I got attached. You can say mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> With the Malmo fans, were there ever moments where you felt that people were just bored or tired of it? And if they were, how did they kind of overcome that? Yeah, that, that does happen. But it's also like people point out that um, it really depends on your personal story. Hmm. Like you can sort of pause this involvement if something happens. And one person said, like, you know, it's been my life. Then my dad got cancer. 
and like so mm. so so there is the hierarchy and that's also a strength of football that you don't exactly need to have an entire 100% focus and you won't be punished even though supporters sometimes point out that there is a hierarchy like are you a coach potato or are you coming to the stadium <laughs> but on the on the larger scale there is no one way to be a supporter so I, I once talked to a person who, I mean, he, I, he people kind of said, okay, he's he's a supporter of this team, if you want to talk to such a supporter. I was like, yeah, okay. And we chat, and then I asked, how often do you see matches? And he said, I haven't seen anything in 10 years. Well, excuse me, are you a, are you a supporter? He was a supporter. And then, uh, and then I thought, who am I to judge? I mean, what he gives me is a bit of an alternative story how to be a supporter. And he had very interesting insights. And for example, he was very critical of um, the idea that someone could buy a Swedish club or his club. So they would lose their soul. At the same time, he loved games in London. He went to see Chelsea. He went to see Arsenal. He thought it was like beautiful atmosphere, so safe, so family friendly, like, you know, the arena comfort of it. Perfect, mm. but not in Sweden. It's perfect <laughs> over there. So people, I think when you tie it, it also depends how your club performs. So you can have this up and down. And in a, in a way, normal reaction, I think, would be if the product is not up to the standard, that you kind of like, okay, do something, fix it. I'm not doing that. And for example, this year, Oiko, my club, they were they went down, down like hell. It was like, oh my God, it's the bottom line. It's like, so, so we, we, it's like soon the relegation is kind of coming. And then came reports that they misplaced money, that there was some maybe idea of a fraud that was like not massively serious, but still on that scale, in the Swedish scale. And what do supporters do? I thought first everyone was like, okay, we just pause it. We don't want to hear anything unless you fix it. And supporters go, no, folk, listen, very quickly, we need to like, you know, get together like one million Swedish crowns so we can so we can maybe give up to them so we can buy someone so we can start playing again. And that's what they did. They opened this sort of um, almost like GoFundMe and people got one million Swedish crowns and then the club actually, yeah, bought. And then we've, we've had with some welfare supporters, they did buy some players and it was like, oh, finally, finally, let us go up the line. So it's in a way you can say that the crisis should have been played in a completely different level if we think about economics and maths and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's just, just regular thinking. But there it was like almost illogical, but it was like, oh my God, we rescued them. And again, you have the magic of that. We managed to help them. We keep them afloat, even though this is like, I don't know, I think I switched like 10 pounds, yeah? <laughs> but, you know, everyone does it. And yeah, we have it. It's, oh, God, yes, we survived. We end, we, we finished like 10th. So it's like, oh. You also mentioned the use of darker magic by fans, such as flares and abusive songs. And hmm. it, it got us thinking really of the contradictions inherent among football fans. As you say, the fans love their club, yet sometimes engage in behaviour that sees the club actually punished by the authorities. What's the purpose of this kind of magic that carries quite a big risk with it? Well, I was, I was kind of, asked, I had a presentation memo FF and they were kind of discussing the ultras because it was still kind of a new thing. And I was like, how they care about the club. And then I look at them and I say, but don't you see, they come here to celebrate themselves. And then, and then the entire board kind of bought my, it's like, okay all, all of a sudden they got it because you see it is the identity of the club but at the same time 
when you're in such a group and you can size a bit of power and know how to wield this power, then like, whoa, this is this, you know, this works on you. So, uh, but at the same time, there is still in Sweden, a lot of, how should I say, there is this narrative that, well, the football is not up to the European standard, but we are up to the European standard. And what is the European scene? Right now, the dominant is the Southern Italian sort of mm -hmm. Greek Balkan, the flares, the, the chance, the, the, the TFOs, yeah, the, the displays, that, that is now the standard sort of. So they, and they are rewarded in a way because the international community, like, pages like uh, ultra stifonet for example like you can follow them you can follow them on facebook mm -hmm. they do this like you know like okay now it's like this on this day 2017 now because now, now it's nothing happening but yeah like you know derby of stockholm or malmo ff against i don't know galatasaray or something uh, so so it's like the best tifos of last week so they are shown internationally, they are criticized or rewarded. Uh, so they, so that there is an additional level of play, of course. And at the same time, I, I would hear supporters say, yeah, but you can say that they, they pay some fines, but they generate money. Think about the publicity and people, some people really come uh, and they are interested to see what the, what the ultras are going to do. And, you know, actually like Newcastle and so on, how, how is that of a standard? But for example, you have Stockholm Derby and they start to doing flares. No one cares what's happening on the pitch. Everyone's, you know, taking the phone and just photographing them. And we can, you can see this, all the cameras, they love it. That's what we're supposed to do and then clip it nicely. So, <laughs> so, so they do understand that they, they kind of, if not value, so they add some sort of level of discussion. And they also, able to even engage in national discussion or security discussion like the discussions with police are now massive and people are basically preparing themselves for what's going to happen next year because 2019 was very critical and it was amazing how fans from different clubs could unite with this chant cop bastards the murderers of football so one one side would shout, would shout that and then the and then the uh, away fans would would chant the the other half of the chant and no that would go in like you know 10 15 minutes really really loudly with the poor police standing next and uh, listening that's interesting that's really interesting it ties into um what you said in the article about swedish society swedish general society being adherence to rules driving at the right speed um i think one person said sometimes <laughs> we we do it sometimes we even stop with green lights and then you have this complete contrast in the football stadium where it's almost like all of this this built up tension because you're following rules all the time just absolutely explodes in that sort of two hours that you're in the stadium. It's uh, really fascinating because obviously my impression of Swedish society is very much a, a highly organized, really kind of straightforward society. So it's uh, it's interesting. Interesting. I'll have to have to go into Fuzinet and look at the uh, Malmo fans doing doing what they do. Yeah, I mean, but um, in cultural sciences there is this saying you can say or like folklorists love it the most like you have to have carnival somewhere carnival have, you have to have a space and place where everything is upside down when you can just you can you can crown the king you can kill the king and uh, somehow this evolved to be football in for example sweden so you're right the level of 
engagement is absolutely unbelievable and i've never been hugged and kissed so many times than than at the football stadium yeah. and for for both like you know the all of the tears like you know because over there it's okay to hug your mates to cry to ex to shake with fear no one's gonna like you know criticize you for that you so you can kind of uh, i had i had this little article that you know you can you can sort of think that this is almost a playground now it comes to gender not because quite often yeah you can see that it's too uh, this old-fashioned masculinity or toxic masculinity sure there is but there are a lot of other masculinities in play and same with femininity because i've i've read some articles especially from britain that sort of criticize female supporters that you don't do enough to in to make it like you know nice and cozy and safe for children it's like may hang on any minute maybe I, I want to scream like you know at the referee and experience that as well like don't deny me that if i you know don't categorize me in my femininity so you the, the trespassing cannot sort of go both ways and this is also kind of like sort of the shape shifting and i can i can actually do that uh, yeah. over there Linked to that, I just wanted to kind of dig into to that a little bit more. I just wonder what your thoughts are on the notion that sport and elite football in particular offer a safe space to indulge in conflict and aggression in particular, activities that in previous eras and previous times would have been satisfied only through participation in actual violence. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if I necessarily agree it sounds a bit like uh, what's he's called elias that the the civilization process that we become less and less maybe not prone to violence but we don't accept straightforward violence so there is a lot of sort of symbolic expressions of that nowadays you can say yeah but at the same time um i just in my in, in my um thesis i kind of discussed hate in a way and there, there are several like other researchers who, who who kind of work with it because well you can't say that this is like a, a, a positive emotion yeah i mean it's not really that but it also has a purpose and a meaning and it depends on the context so even even the phrase i hate you maybe it doesn't have to be maybe not like it's positive but it can be a catalyst to something very very creative and you can say you can see that too and i think in football you learn quite well how to handle your emotions and how to handle those because you, you you train to do that in a way like you know all the disappointments and pains and you know and struggles you kind of know how to do that after a while at first of course it's a shock that's why it's sort of this sort of heterotopic space because it's a special place with special rules you have to learn how to navigate how to react how to do that and i and i've and i've been thinking about it like with the all the hooligans and stuff and even though it's not a massive problem in sweden that of course it is an issue we kind of you it's not like out of sight it's it's or it is out of sight out of mind but the problems do exist and again football kind of became an arena that you can express it but only because i think it is in a society it doesn't mean that the football is violent or racist by itself but it lets this kind of steam go out it then it might be something different later on and then even violence i mean even if you talk to the police i, I interviewed some policemen in sweden and they talk about um violence capital or the capital of violence that even they understand like, you know this one was really very interesting person and he said like okay i don't understand the kick of it 
but I know that if you're young, you have not, you, you don't have that much to lose. And what you gain is something that is of value to you. So like, you know, you get a group, you get respect, you get some sort of identity connected to that. So you fight in the forest, fine. It's like, if you bring this to the stadium, then I have a problem with you. And then during that situation, because we talked during a match, and there was a supporter passing with a little girl. And they like, you know, hey, hello, hey, hello. Not good match. Yes, we're winning. And then he passes. And then he goes, look here. He's a hooligan. We met before in forests. But today he's with his little girl. How am I supposed to treat him now? They know each other. I was like, oh, fantastic. But of course, but now he's not doing that, anything. So, 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 so it is a very interesting sort of way you can observe those things. But it's a very intriguing point how we sort of stopped uh, or like we don't want to see value in conflict in open conflict and i'm, I'm not i'm not saying this is a, a good thing but you can't we can't ignore that it's gonna happen it's not gonna disappear it's gonna just take a different form so it really depends how you want it or how the society would prefer it to be but if it's not become physical could it be that it become more psychological I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, but yeah, just just let just let people go to the forest and fight each other. I think that's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. You've got a lot of forest too. So <laughs> that, that of course normally is on the assumption that people can actually meet up and, and we are of course in a yeah, pandemic and that links oh, very yeah. nicely to what I was about to ask. So, so thank you very much. Um given the fact that of course fans can't get into stadiums at the moment and consume and engage with football in the way that they ordinarily yeah. would, what are your thoughts on how COVID and games behind closed doors have affected the magic that is present at matches? Well, it's become different, but at the same time, there's been a lot of creativity on different levels. Uh, like an example, and just before the COVID completely like, took over, I, I actually managed to be in Rome in February. Yes, I was, I was like the last days of freedom, really. <sighs> last um, days of Rome. Yeah. Uh, and over there, I found a lot of stickers in the colors of Aceroma, and it said Coroma virus. It's like Coroma virus. Yeah. And they were beautiful. And I thought, man, how quick, how quickly you can do that. And you can create this insult that is not only sort of punching Aceroma, but it's also bringing the history and the virus that is, was there then, still like over there in Asia. It was just kind of funny. It was so many memes and everything. It was kind of, we kind of laughed. Then we stopped laughing. We're not laughing anymore. But that was kind of like the first sort of symptomatic thing that something's gonna change. And at least in Sweden, there's been a lot of different ways to um, support the club and sort of mark that we are still supporters. So uh, people organized like, um, like the clubs would organize lunches for medical personnel. And for some reason it had to be marked that this is this club, not like, you know, just people. No, the club is, you know, preparing them. Or you could go to fictive buses. So I sat in fictive buses to different uh, cities and it's, it's you just switch like, you know, set amounts. It was really, it was really usually very cheap, like, you know, five pounds or something. And then, and then we donate the money to the club. Yeah. Or like uh, the clubs were doing also like very interesting new like designs and shirts, like that was going on as well. So a lot of those um, activists came up, like, you know, how can we be still active as supporters? You, you probably saw reports from different countries that 
supporters came to help to like move a hospital or build an extension of a hospital, something like that. And again, they sort of become a social group, like no, not, not young people from this part of town. No, they have a name, they have a supporters. They are supporters of that team, which is also interesting. So that has happened a lot, uh, I would say, those sort of activities that still trying to be to build this identity on this sort of like, how can we help? What can we do? How can we be creative? Uh, people who would create the, the displays, the banners would uh, sit and make like masks and or like uh, protective gear for, yeah, again, for, for hospitals and stuff. Again, sort of photographing it, putting it online, having this uh, digital footprint that it is a club that's done it. The, um, the fictive bus, was that get, like getting on a bus and going to another city? On the bus. Yeah, 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 but it's sort of like you know, it's sort of a, a make believe. I mean, like, like this this week we play in Yetebori in Gothenburg. So, so you swish fifty like fifty crowns. Yeah, so like yeah, more or less five pounds, I would say, uh, and you on the bus. Oh, yeah. right, right. So it's not like you're actually getting on the bus because no. not like in Hong Kong where those flights that would take off and then like land again. Do you know about that? Ah, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, you're not, you're not getting on a bus, drinking loads of beer and then you're driving back to the bus stop. You kind of alluded to uh, digital spaces in your answer there. Um, and you refer to activity on the internet. Does, does magic operate the same way in virtual spaces? Or does the di- dynamic change due to the context? Um, I think it depends. It depends a little bit on scale. Yeah. I mean, like, but the digital footprint has become very, very important. Little di- digression to go, going back, because there is one student, um, a bachelor student, who writes about like the lost spaces of football. He's like at our department. And he found this football club in Sweden and they, they, I mean, there's like an old fashioned stadium or like, it's maybe not old fashioned, but it's kind of low. Mm -hmm. So they all just bought like, how was it called? Ladders, yes. They, you know, supporters get ladders and they sit on, they sat on the ladders watching football, like around the stadium. Uh, He has fantastic pictures from that. Uh, It's like, no, this is how we support now. And one of them even said, this is brilliant. I don't even have to go inside, like, you know, I'm kind of satisfied because with his kind of creativity and, and also they, they managed to see matches. And so, so you see that, that you know, there's been, there's been you no know, things, things happening, uh, but about the virtual, I think that's where it all gained speed. For example, with ultras groups, when they found out a way, or they found a way to sort of connect to each other. And one person, it was a British scholar who, who kind of commented on my research saying that it seems that football is like medieval monasteries. You have the local and you have the global, but somehow you, you skip the national. So the, so the links exist like beyond borders. And well, internet is everything about that is beyond borders. So, so you can see what they do in Indonesia. They can see what they do in Morocco, how Algeria's fans you know, react on what they do. And you can comment, apply and do the same. So, so it's sort of another level of being conscious of uh, that your performance is going to be sort of visible somewhere else. And also they, um, they can keep different things alive through that as well. So when Aiko's goalkeeper died, Ivan Turina, uh, it was like a sort of massive shock. But then they, they, they don't want to sort of bury the person. They want to keep it alive. So mm. every match there is, or there used to be at least, like... Um, 
uh, one minute sort of commemoration to him when they shout his name and it be, it sort of became almost an obsession that to keep this alive and some some people say that yeah we need to keep it alive because things change so quickly and they disappear and new uh, new players come and there is new trauma there is new drama there's so much to take in so there is a group that travels to his grave every year to um, Croatia and they decorate it in um, uh, scarves of oiko and he he played there only like for three years it wasn't like massive you know, icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they photograph it and they put it online, and that's the important bit because. And this person said that yeah, because the rest knows that we take part of that tradition, that we that this is taken care of. They can sort of chill and do some other things because in this sort of massive web of what a football can be, what you can do with that, we take care of that, and that's that's with the help of of internet, of course, and. I would say that there is this had almost a tradition of people who watch matches on TV and then they comment live on like chats or like chat rooms. And this is one of the best things I've ever seen. Like I have so many like, you know, dumb screams from that. I was like, amazing. And you think this is not enough to just watch. You also have to kind of, kind of, you know, write there in capital letters, like screw your referee or like, you know, run for for fuck's sake or something like that and that also allows you the connection and lets you participate in this emotional exchange uh, in a different level although i think it's very tiring to sort of watch and then you know type at the same time but do, people do do that yeah I, I, it's really it's really interesting you say that because what i've come to learn during the whole pandemic whilst watching football is obviously watching Newcastle matches, not being in the stadium, but watching them from home, but not being able to go to the pub even, to watch them in the pub with friends, to actually mm. have to be, you know, atomised watching the game. But at the same time, I'm watching it, and Chris, who's on the call, yeah, he is the same. We All of us in this group are messaging each other during the match. And yeah. it is, it's, it, it's a way of being in the match with each other, but at the same time, yeah. I'm actually probably missing about 40 minutes of the football because I'm busy kind of yeah. chatting with other people about it. It's it's a totally a totally different experience. Um, but the messages that I put in there, there's definitely no magic coming from those. They're just really bad, <laughs> just really bad observations. <laughs> but, but even during a match, I, I was sometimes amazed how how easy it is to completely miss a goal or like something. I mean, sometimes, because um, Swedish fans, they re- I, I like the standing section. And actually, I, I also like very much the away section. So... Um, I live close to Malmo, so I'm quite often with different away teams at the, because that's like the, the most like sensitive area. But, you know, the, the flags waving or some, someone's doing something, then all of a sudden there's a beer coming down on you. And like, it's like so many distractions. And it's like, oh, oh, a girl. All right. Uh, it's like that happens so many times. So it's like to be able to follow everything, you can't really. It's carnage. It's carnage. And that's what the fun is, right? That's the fun yeah. part of it. You mention in the article that the liminal elements of the stadium grounds point out to Foucault's concept of heterotopia. Could you talk us through this? Because listeners may be unfamiliar with Michel Foucault um, or the concept of heterotopia. So could no. you explain that to them? Not in this country, by the way. Yeah, our politicians Yeah, I don't know if you're aware, Cassia, of one of our politicians um, coming out and referencing Foucault completely incorrectly lately. All right, no, heaven. No, no. Well, well, I'll send you, I'll send you a link to an article once we finish this podcast. <laughs> Go about the question, but you'll find it quite funny, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, right. Um, yeah, I mean, Foucault, I guess Michel Foucault is most known for his work on um, power and control and also the, the sexuality and his very famous, maybe not quote, but sort of assumption or like, yeah, that uh, the way to control society, the easiest way is to control the sexual behavior. You control that, you have people in line, you can say. But um, uh, I found this very short and very beautiful um, article of his about heterotopia. And it's sort of, he kind of pointed out basically that logic does not work everywhere on the same basis. Basically, you more, more or less, you have like clusters of places in the society that um, kind of tweak with the idea what is good, what is bad, what is acceptable, what is thrown upon, and so on. And those places have this system of opening and closing it, uh, themselves. Like they, they operate in a special time and space, and you have to know how to open them. What, on the graveyard, when you bury a person, that's, you can say, when the graveyard works. That's when it's used, and you have a special right to, to do that. And then, well, there is a graveyard, but it does not operate. You don't, like, continuously sort of bury people. But maybe now with pandemic. <laughs> but And also, um, like, a ship, that's a heterotopia, because you have, again, a special set of rules. You have the same humans sort of traveling from, say, from Britain to the US on the, on the ship, but you have a captain, you have a different hierarchy, you have a way of, of doing stuff. Uh, one can say that in a way army is a sort of heterotopia as well. It functions because it has special logic that you have to follow. If you if you break with that, the, 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 the magic is gone. You, you, like, you, know, you can't say, can we discuss this order you've just given us? No, you have to follow, you have to know how to do that. And you can see that in football in many levels. Like for, for the first, there is a permission to say things that you normally you would not be able to say, for example, to a policeman or like, you know, shout at them. I really like this chant uh, used in British football, like we paid for your hats, we paid for your hats. Yeah. But like, you know, if you would be doing that on the street, that would be a bit, hmm, that would, that would be a different thing. Or you would immediately think this is a football crowd. That you would under, you would sort of apply the understanding that the, the, the zone, the, the liminal, the heterotopia is still happening. There is this video about like with people uh, dancing to this chant of Yaya Ture, like on, on like in a, it's like a subway. There are two sides of it. And they and you, you can see that some people are just staring at them. But if you understand this is a football crowd, that makes sense. That's logical. That's what you do. So you can sort of transplant it if you if you wish to. And also the, the heterotopia means that you can construct a way that, you know, you, 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 you can structure the behavior in a bit different way. For example, you don't question the police or you, you understand that, you know, yeah, that you can get angry or emotional or screaming because a round ball goes into a goal. Whereas when you think like in a normal life, like a normal life, if you, if you, if you see a ball, like, you know, rolling into a goal on this, again, on the street, so, 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 so you need to, to, to have this sort of space that has those rules and you have to learn how to operate on those rules, really. If you start a new job, uh, you kind of have to learn how to greet people. When is the coffee break? What, uh, can, I, can I bring a dog or not? Like, you know, how to copy? Because it's also sort of coded behavior that are sort of micro behaviors that you have to be able to unpack and adjust how to, how to do that. Yeah, you can't just go into the office and start doing the Ayatoria dance, can you, on your first day? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're, you're a man that's, uh, that's tried something like that once or twice, Norman. <laughs> Maybe. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much, Cassia. 
Where can listeners hear more from you or read more of your work? How, how can they contact you? We all have like official sort of pages, uh, like at the university. Uh, so if you Google me, you'll probably get my name. And we've been really good with open access articles, I think. So there's a lot that is open access. And my, my thesis, that is, it's so beautiful. It's also online, all the, all the uh, PhD uh, dissertations, uh, open access online in Sweden. So I'm, I'm happy to talk football. I like it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Um, I think all that remains for, for me to do is thank you very much for your time and also to Ash and Norman as well. It's been a really fascinating discussion. Speak to you soon. 